All right, let's try it together. Good morning. Man, you guys are awake. We're so glad you're here with us today as we continue in this series, Fake News. Uh, he already alluded to kind of what we're talking about today, but we are discussing the um, idea about every man for himself. When we look out for self, and uh, I think all of us have probably heard that phrase at one point in our life, maybe even said it, hadn't you? Every man for himself. Uh, it, what does it imply? It implies that basically whether you were a group or a team or couple or whatever, at some point there's this division that takes place and now you're on your own, right? It's the separation from, from team or partnership or things like that. I remember the earliest example I remember hearing this was um, when I was younger and in Royal Rangers, which is our boys ministry here. And there's a point during the year where they do what's called the Pinewood Derby, where you build these cars and then you race them and compete against each other. And then they give out, you know, trophies or ribbons or whatever it is. Uh, really what it is, it's a chance for the, all the dads to build the kids' cars and then, you know, show off what they did. But um, I, I always loved it. It's one of my favorite things to do. And a, a good friend of mine, uh, he and his brother were building their cars, and uh, we were kind of showing off what we had done. And the dad um, was really, really into it. And his dad uh, actually got, like, real car paint and had this thing done and just completely decorated it. And uh, he said, all right, boys. I helped you get here, now it's every man for himself. Basically implying you're going down, all bets are off. If I win, I win. If you lose, whatever that looks like. But that's, you know, every man for himself. Probably the most notable and recent thing that I've heard is uh, if you follow the news at all, um, there was a cruise liner that uh, sunk off the coast of Italy, the coast of Concordia. Uh, it was a, a big boat. I think it held like 4,200 passengers. And you may have followed this story. But basically, uh, it's kind of where the, the captain was driving by this, this town and uh, off the coast of Italy and really sort of showing it off. And uh, ended up, there was some miscommunication. And it, by the time they figured out what happened, he ran aground, ran into the, the rocks underneath. And the first jolt sent everybody just like, oh, you know, what happened? Because yeah, you've seen Titanic, and you just assume, like, oh, no, something bad has happened. Well, they come on the speakers, and they said, um, you know, it's okay. It's just an electrical malfunction. Everything's fine. And uh, they, the accounts from some of the people, they said they were actually eating, and the plates flew off the table and glasses. That's how much, you know, it shook. Well, then, very shortly after that, uh, with just in a couple of minutes, they ended up running and hitting a second time. And at that point, uh, people began to worry and fear. And uh, you can imagine the, the confusion that set in. And people began to run to the deck where the lifeboats were. And uh, all was well until the point where the uh, crew and everybody that worked on the ship came busting out in a panic and frenzy. And that really sent all the other passengers into a panic. And uh, people just started jumping into lifeboats. And if you've ever been on a cruise, you know, you have to go through the whole thing. They show you how to put the life thing on, and you stand out there. And they talk about going in an orderly fashion. And, you know, let's put the women and the children in first. And, well, when, when things like that come in, all bets are off. And, and they said that when they interviewed it, it was every man for himself. Men were pushing kids out of the way jumping in. People who were working on the ship who were supposed to be the last ones to get on were just had, you know, they found them on the shore before even all the people were off. And I think 23 people actually died in that incident. But that's another example. So what happened? This unified uh, group of people, a, a conflict comes in and all of a sudden it's 
a separation takes place and it becomes every man for himself. Society contributes to the whole self thing as well. I mean, you go to Barnes & Noble or Books A Million or somewhere like that, one of the largest sections you will find in the whole bookstore is the self-help section, isn't it? I mean, there's not, uh, we're not lacking in self-help books. Everything from how to make more money uh, to how to have better self-esteem. I mean, they've even got uh, how-to books on how to write a how-to book. So, I mean, you can find anything that you want in the self-help section. But the, what's the premise behind it? The self-help books is you can do it. You can change. You can do it on your own. Whatever you want to do, uh, you have the power to do it. And so it becomes about us. Companies have even figured this out. They've put it into their slogans just to allude to the point that it's about you. It's about the self. It's about the customer. Uh, those of you who have ever been to Burger King, uh, what is the phrase that, that they say? What's their slogan? Have it your way, right? Have it your way. So, um, you know, it used to be Burger King's slogan was your way right away. And so they always make sure they put the you in there, the focus on you. Uh, UPS, what can Brown do for you, right? That's the slogan that they have there. Uh, ladies who um, use L'Oreal uh, hair care or makeup products or whatever they sell, uh, the phrase, the old phrase used to be because, um, because I'm worth it. And they have recently changed that or not too long ago changed it to because you're worth it. So they're basically putting the emphasis back on you. Um, those of you who are Apple uh, owners, uh, all, they've named the products iMac, iPod, iShuffle. I, it's all about the I. So society, so culture uh, just uh, puts into the, our minds and, and the fact that all of us uh, deal with this self thing. We even have sayings that we say. What? The customer is what? Always right. The customer is always right. If you want something right, you should do it yourself. And so see how it's just even this little subtlety there. And so you and I, if we're not careful, this idea of self, um, can, can, we can fall victim to that. Putting the importance of ourselves um, and our needs above others. With no regard to our family, uh, the people we work with, uh, strangers, um, even our spouse. And it's ultimately fueled by this entitlement idea that we deserve something, that we are entitled to something. And our expectations play into that as well. When we expect a certain thing and we don't get it, we're just like, well, you know, you know I should be able to do that. I should be able to have that. I should be able to, you know, go there and so forth. And so uh, when we don't get that a lot of times, so, well, now what most people do is they just post it, you know, on, on social media. Um, whereas, you know, that, that's just kind of the common practice on Twitter or whatever. But have you ever noticed that you've never had to teach a toddler to snatch a toy? Like That's not something you sat down and said, all right, kid, let me show you something. When, when one of your buddies has a toy and you want it, all you got to do is just go up and, and take it from them. All right, nobody's ever done that. But if you've ever had something that a toddler wants, they have no problem just walking up to you and taking it from you, do you? Do they? I mean, it's, it's mine. You, I mean, if you know those kids have gone through those phases, that's, it's mine. It's mine. Or if you've seen your kid, maybe your two kids have uh, gone through that spell where one's had one thing and another one wanted it, and he took it, and then they come tell, it's, tell on each other, you know, they took this from me. It was mine. And so it's just engraved in us. It's this natural instinct we don't have to learn. And ultimately, if we're honest, it boils down to it's just our sin nature. It's how we were born. And so... Um, today we're going to talk about uh, self. And, uh, you know, a lot of people quit their jobs because of the self mentality. Their needs aren't being met. I'm not making enough money. My employees or my boss doesn't respect 
uh, me and, and I just feel like I deserve something better. Um, it's why ultimately, even in Christian homes, the divorce rate is so high is because ultimately what happens is self is elevated. Self takes control. And so we shouldn't be alarmed by that. Uh, people who have gone through this, a lot of times, uh, you know, break up. If you ever, you know, maybe follow some of your friends, um, high school friends on on social media or something like that uh, you can you can see things that happen all the time where you know they'll go through something and post about it um, you know it's like well you know maybe I just need to take care of me and my cat sprinkles and um, you know he, he is you know just the greatest thing so this morning here's what we're going to look at the tension that exists between our selfishness and what ultimately God has called us to do and how ultimately this selfishness leads us to sin not only against God but those that we love and care for. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be following along. It'll be on the screens for you. Um, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Philippi, and uh, I love how it just starts off. In verse 1, he basically says, hey, look, if you uh, have any love, if you uh, have any affection, if you want to make me happier than anything in the whole entire world, and maybe you've asked, you know, uh, your kid that, like, what would you like more than anything else for your birthday? Or you've asked, like, honey, where would you want to go if you could go to any place in the whole world? Paul is saying, here's what, I, I want to tell you what will make me happier and more joyful than anything you could possibly do, and that is this. And so we're going to jump in here, Philippians 2, verse 3. He says, do nothing. Everybody with me today say, do nothing. Okay, Do nothing. From rivalry or selfishness. Now, when we look at the term that is used there in the Greek, because you guys know it wasn't written in English, um, when we look at that term that's used there in the Greek, what it's saying is basically do nothing out of rivalry, rivalry or selfishness, and that translates to uh, the seek for uh, people who push their own agenda, um, people who you know want their their thing. And so, when Paul is is telling the church there. He's, he's basically alluding to the fact that if you've ever uh, got into a, a dialogue or, a, a, I don't know, a debate or an argument with somebody, you ever notice how things can be just going fine and you could be talking and then they say the wrong thing or they do the wrong thing? I mean, you could do that to your brothers and sisters, sibling. You could do that to maybe your mom and dad or whoever that is. Uh, everything's going fine and then they say something and it just triggers you and you lash out. Anybody ever, is it just me? Anybody just ever lashed out and you... You're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. That's the premise that Paul's talking about here. He's saying don't do what would cause you to lash out or out of empty conceit. And so that means taking pride or taking joy when other, people's fail, when other people fail. Um, when you should get the personal glory, uh, you know, when you want something and, you know, somebody that you uh, like or, or don't like, vice versa, when something happens to them, uh, and you take glory in that, that's what he's saying. He's like, don't do anything out of that selfishness. Don't do anything that would cause you to, to lash out. Because what happens is when selfishness takes place, when we resort, resort back to self, we are literally at war with everyone else around us. Okay, just, just let that sink in for a moment. When, when we are selfish, when we just take and go, okay, I'm, I'm you know, pulling back away from, from you or for them, it's all of a sudden, it's, it's us against them. And so what happens then? Quarreling, fighting, arguing, all these things take place, which is the opposite of what we're told in Galatians chapter 5, which is uh, the works of the Spirit. Um, so what we are 
engaging in is the works of the flesh. When we lash out, when we argue, when we quarrel, out of selfish desires, we are going ultimately against the works of the Spirit. Now, this is the type of thing that can cause friends to stop speaking, right? All of us at some point in our lives have had a friend and something came along and you, you know, quit talking to each other, right? Again, it could be a, a family member, but something came up and caused that division and ultimately we reverted back to self. I mean, there's churches that have divided over this very factor, right? There's not, we're not lacking in the number of uh, church denominations. Think about that's why a lot of the churches have split, right? They didn't like how, you know, one group took up communion or they didn't like how, you know, there wasn't enough liturgy or they didn't like the works of, you know, the Holy Spirit. And so all these things are birthed. And so churches aren't even excluded from this. Uh, my wife and I were, um, we did photography for a long time and we were meeting with a couple um, at our house before they got married. And they called us to let us know that they were actually going to be late uh, because they had to go to a church business meeting. And for those of you that don't know what that is, it's basically uh, when a church is governed by the entire church body based on what vote gets the most hands or so forth. So, uh, you know, when a, cur- a church wants to um, change the name, then the whole church would vote on it. If they want to change the color of the walls, they'd raise their hands and vote, you know, what color they want. And so it just creates a lot of confusion. So I knew what it was going to be like when they came and because uh, I've you know, been a part of those even growing up as well. And so when they got there, I said, well, you know, what happened? They were like, oh, man, you would not even believe it. It was just crazy. I mean, you would think Christians wouldn't fight amongst each other, but th- that's the way it is. They were talking about whether or not they should have pews or chairs. Okay? So this church had pews, and they were looking to go to chairs. And so um, it, it created a, a lot of uh, diverse diversity between the people in the church and so what happened was one group sat on one side that wanted chairs and the other group sat on the other side that wanted pews and one at a time they would stand up and state their reasoning and opinion why they felt like that the church should have pews or should have chairs and so one at a time as they stood up one might say well I feel like we should have chairs because we can take them up and then we can clean the carpets, and these carpets are old, and they you know, need to be cleaned. The other one would say, well, I feel like us taking that out takes the sacredness, the tradition out of the church, and I really like that. And so, you know, everything's going good, but at some point in the conversation, things went bad, and it began kind of be personal, and they were fighting against each other. And uh, so the girl told us, she said, everything was going good until finally one lady stood up, and she said, you know, they're, they're not going to be as comfortable, especially for the people who are overweight. And, uh, you know, everybody's kind of like, all right, what do you, you know, what do you mean there? And she said, and then she had to make it a little more personal. She said, Brother Lester, won't you stand up for us right there? And, and he just kind of looked around like, and she said, go ahead on, stand up. Stand. She said, now look at Brother Lester. There ain't no way he's going to be able to fit in one of those chairs. He can't even fit on an airplane seat. And everybody's like, oh my God. And so the pastor, I, I, I failed to tell you this, the pastor actually did not want to facilitate the meeting because he wanted to be a part of it and vote. Well, at that point, he kind of felt awkward and was like, stood up and said, ma'am, I, I don't know what you have in mind, but the, church, but the chairs that we're looking for actually don't have arms on them. They just set out like pews. And she was like, oh, and then she just sat down. But even churches will pursue the selfishness Christians, their own desires. I mean, culture tells us what? I mean, you deserve it. Think about all the phrases that we hear. Do what makes you what? Happy. Follow your heart. If it feels good, do it. Paul says, no, do not 
do that which causes those things. So he goes on. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Now, as best as the writers are able to tell, the interesting thing about this passage right here that we just read is nowhere will we see in the New Testament or before the New Testament was written this phrase used in this way. Here's what I mean. Humility and lowliness at that time was considered not a virtue. It was not something that you wanted. When you look to the Greeks and their culture and how they you know, thought that they did certain things better than everyone else, this idea that talks about humility was really kind of crafted by the New Testament writers. Okay, And so it was seen as something that was just ugly or low. But then we see that it was actually these types of people that God glorified and, and raised up. I mean, all throughout Scripture... You see, it's the people who humble themselves, right, who have this uh, attitude of humility, who submit themselves, who serve others. These are the ones that God used, all from the beginning of the Bible to the end. And it's these type of people that God heard their prayers. I mean, you can look at Scripture after Scripture. He answered their prayers. He showed grace to. So the idea of humility really wasn't taken on in this way until the New Testament. And so when we look at this, what would this look like for us in an everyday practical life? I mean, people would be more mindful of those around them, wouldn't they? I mean, just in everyday, day-to-day interactions, if we had this idea of humility and treating people better than we would treat ourselves, uh, even strangers, uh, I mean, you know, we would be so happy and kind to, to help people, let them go in front of us in the line. You know, no, you know, you go ahead um, and, and just submit ourselves to that type of thinking. Um, I can't think of a better illustration, but if anybody ever just drove down Berkeley Boulevard during lunch, right? I mean, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, our, camp, our Goldsboro campus is located right there at the, um, near Delmas Hardware. And if you ever try to get out of that parking lot at lunch, it's like, it's every man for himself. You know what makes me mad more than anything? When you're sitting there, and, and you know the light is fixing to turn red, so there's going to be a gap. And all that person has to do is give literally two seconds of their time and stop before the next car in front of them. Have you all ever done that? Have you ever just been sitting there thinking, oh, the light turned red and somebody's going to let me out? And then daggone, if they don't pull right in front of you and don't leave a gap. And then to top that off, they just ignore like they don't even know you're not even sitting there. Like you're right here and they just keep their head, you know, looking forward. And, and so I have to pray through those moments because I find myself just inching up because I just want them to like, you know, take a glance over to see. And then I'm like, that's why I didn't put a bridge sticker on the back of my car because then they would know that I go to the bridge. But it's so frustrating that, you know, and some people just do it on purpose. I think there's people that don't do it on purpose, but a lot of them, you know, they're just in a hurry, right? Who are they looking out for? Self. I mean, and honestly, we kind of do the same thing with the guy standing at the corner holding the sign, wanting money. I mean, we stand there like, in any other sense, we'd look around. Now, some of you probably help those type of people, but some of you, including myself at times, have done the opposite, right? They're standing right there, and you're like, oh, I'm going to be right beside him at the stoplight. Like, I just can't get out of this. And so some of y'all are faking phone calls, right? You're like looking down on the floorboard, you know, reaching for things, adjusting the radio, and they're just, you know, standing right there, kind of ignoring you. But my point is this, uh, if, if we 
had that mentality, we would view everyone else around us differently. And so, furthermore, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 that God opposes those who are proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The people who are humble, God will show grace to. Now think about that. Think about the person in high school that you just dislike more than anybody else. It might be, you might be have that person in your life right now. I mean, just that arrogant, you know, know-it-all, good at everything, maybe just thinks they're so good they're conceited. And those thoughts that, sh- that you had towards that person of like, oh, I can't stand that person. I hate when they succeed. We, you know, some of us have had those thoughts before. Now magnify that times like a million and imagine like God saying to us that he opposes those people who walk around proud, but he shows those grace who are humble. I mean, in Matthew 23, it says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be vice versa, they'll be exalted. And I think probably my most humbling experience, or one of my most humbling experiences that I've ever had is uh, about 10 years ago, we went to a church conference down the road at a church uh, called C3 Church, and uh, they had a, um, it was just for a bunch of church groups, and they were doing some fun and games, and one of the things that they did was a scooter race. And uh, so the way it worked is they pulled a bunch of the pastors that were there to be a part of the scooter race, and somehow my name got Drew or, vol- I don't know, volunteered, but I, I understood that I was going to be a part of it. And so they started at the parking lot, and, and uh, everybody's inside, and they got cameras outside. There's people, there's people cheering you on. They're showing it on the live screens inside, and so I'm there with like, you know, 50 people from the bridge, and uh, anybody who knows me, I, I'm, I'm a competitive person by nature, and, you know, that's just the way it is. And so I'm thinking in my mind, like, how am I going to win the scooter race? Because, you know, I just wanted to win. I don't know what they were giving out, but I wanted to win. And so we start at the parking lot. You had to go all the way down the sidewalk. You had to go around the fountain and then all the way back. And so I walk up, and they've got, like, 10 or 15 scooters laying on the grass there. And I'm thinking in my mind, like, which one's going to be the fastest because I want to win. And so I, I'm examining all these scooters, and some of them, like, a razors have, like, the small wheels, and some of them have, like, the big wheels, and then they've got, like, these little tricycles, like, two on the back and one on the front. And I'm like, nah, that's not going to be fast. And, you know, in concrete, there's those lines that are in the sidewalk. So I'm thinking, I don't want to get a small wheel one because that one's, you know, going to catch the bump. It's going to slow you down, might fall or whatever. So I'm going to get one of the, those big wheel ones. And so I go ahead and get mine, and I get in line, and all these other guys, they're, you know, they don't care. They're just like, oh, you're looking at them. They pick. And I go and pick my place like right in line, and I wanted the inside lane because when you go around the fountain, you know, you want to have, the, it's like NASCAR, you want the inside lane. And so I'm already there, and all these other guys don't care. I mean, I just had it in my mind, I'm going to win this race. And uh, so I line up, and everybody else lines up, and I'm thinking, you know, how can I get a jump start? So I, th- I thought to myself, I said, uh, instead of starting with one foot on the scooter and one off and just pushing, I'm going to start with both feet off the scooters. I'm going to take two running steps and hop on and then start pedaling. That's, that's how I envisioned it in my mind. So everybody's getting ready, you know, and everybody's cheering us on, and they're, you know, live streaming it in there. And I am uh, I'm waiting for the countdown, and he says go, and I take those two steps, I hop on the scooter, and I am booking it, and I look back, and I'm like two to three scooters lengths ahead of everybody else, and I'm like, dude, I have got this in the bag. I mean, I'm already celebrating. 
Well, those of you that know anything about celebrating before the, the uh, win actually takes place knows where probably this story is going. So as we go down the track, I mean, I'm just getting it. I'm, everything's looking good. And we get to the fountain and we have to go around the fountain. And I am just going so daggone fast. As I go to turn the fountain, all of a sudden my wheels just come completely out from under me. And there's people lined up around the fountain and my scooter slides out and I, it goes sliding into the people and I just hit and I roll like three or four times. And it's one of those moments where like you know you had the wind in your grasp, like all you had to do was just you know, be patient and don't do anything crazy. And I didn't slow down and I fall and you just hear everybody, <gasps> you know, like that. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm falling, like this is not happening. Everybody in the, the, the church is watching right now what's going on, and they're just laughing. And all of a sudden, I look out of my periphery, and I see all these people, and they're just passing. They're passing me, and I'm like, jump up as fast as I can. And I grab the scooter, and, I just, and I'm trying the best I can to get. And, and I ended up only beating one other person out of ten. I ended up finishing second from last. And my knees are tore up, and my pride is hurt, and I'm just totally embarrassed. And they're all like, you know, patting the guy on the back. And I'm just like, oh, I cannot, I do not want to go talk to the people I came with, because they're just going to give me the hardest time. And so I'm standing there, and, and what I'm fixing to say in the next point is not, mean, is not meant to be in any way, shape, or form a, a, a pick on or make fun of. It's just, it was in the moment and what happened. And um, so I'm standing there, and one of the guys comes up to me, and he puts his arm around me. And he's just laughing, and I said, and I said, what? And he, he looks at me, and he says, you see that right there? And he looks over and points to a guy. And I didn't realize it at the time, but there was a guy standing there who only had one leg. And he said, you got beat by a one-legged guy in a scooter race. <laughs> and it was at that moment I was like, holy cow. Like, I mean, it just, it, it, you hadn't thought about it. It just settled in like, this, that's crazy. And so you talk about humble. You talk about being deflated. You talk about like self-exaltation, just your balloon being popped and falling. That was exactly how I felt. It was very humbling. And so Paul, as he goes on, he talks about this. He says, you know, don't merely look out for the interest, your personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So there's nothing wrong for looking out for self in the right context. It's nothing wrong to ensure that, you know, that you're fed, you're taken care of, you have you know, nice things. But when it becomes all about you and the focus is off other people, that's when it becomes a problem. Verse 5, he says, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed, and if, if you're one of those people that take notes, I would underline that word because it's very important to know that the word that's used there existed in the Greek. Uh, Paul goes out of his way to show and stress the importance that the existed is relating to God's nature. And what he's basically saying is Jesus existed. He's God in the flesh. Okay, that's very important. Not just that he was a, a human being, a normal a human being, but he was actually God in the flesh. In the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And then the word that's used there for the equality, uh, you know, in English we have a lot of words that mean the same thing. Like I could say that I like this, I love this, uh, I appreciate this, and, and they kind of allude to the same thing. Well, here it's very important the way the, the writing is taking place is Paul is trying to show the distinction that Jesus, not just a man, but also God, existed in a form and he was ba basically, that, that term is the exact size, same nature, same characteristics is what he's trying to tell us. 
And so he goes above and beyond to let us know that. But instead of being selfish, he shows us this contrast. In verse 7, he says, He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so Jesus thought more about you and he thought more about me than he did himself. And Paul says, let me explain, let me just, let me just paint you a picture, let me give you an example. Jesus had every right, because remember, same characteristics, same God in the flesh, had same right to do that, but he didn't. He humbled himself, he did the opposite. And nowhere in Scripture do we see this idea that Jesus ever used and leveraged that for his benefit. I mean, in the story of the feeding of the 5,000 people, we never saw Jesus go, hey, look, before uh, everybody else gets that food, could you, could you like, get me the fish and the bread before everybody's crummy hands gets on there and, and make sure that I'm taken care of, right? We didn't see that. We never see uh, Jesus going, hey, when we get on the boat to go across, could you make sure my spot's taken? I've got a spot. I don't want to be sitting down there you know, at the bottom. We never see Jesus, uh, when he goes out to preach, going, is, if it's possible, could you guys get me one of those like real big chairs that people ha- the churches have on the stage sometimes with the high back and the, the big arms because they know like I'm important, I'm the guy that's going to be speaking today. We don't see him uh, going, you know, when we go into town and, and I'm riding on that, that colt or riding on that donkey, could you make sure I got a parking spot like right close to where we're going to be? No, we don't see any of that model. All we see is Jesus showing the form of a servant and humbling himself. If that's not enough, just look at where he was born. In a, in a manger, right? Around a bunch of smelly animals. Jesus was never about himself. He was always about others. And so this is our foundation. This is the baseline for where we have to start when we look to the example. Now, that's a very strong contrast to today's society, right? Right? I mean, let's just be honest. That is a very strong contrast to the modern day world of us and taking care of others. Um, I don't know if you, you realize this, but, um, you know, we live in a, a day and age of uh, posting selfies, right? Those of you on social media, uh, posting about all these things that are that were going on in our life, the places we are. And, and those things are not bad. I'm not saying that. I mean, it's a, it's a great way to use social media to connect with people and, you know, to share. And, you know, you go on a vacation with your family. And, I mean, people enjoy seeing that. But the problem comes when we do that out of selfish motives, okay? I don't know if you know this, but the, the, the age or the, the generation um, that's 18 to 34, uh, some of you are in that generation now. It's known as the millennial generation. Uh, statistics show that uh, in the millennial generation, 93 million people post a selfie every day, or there's 93 million posted a day of pictures of themselves. If that's not enough, more than, listen to this, more people died in 2015 from taking selfies than they did shark attacks. And just this year in May, you can look it up on the, the news, May, a guy died, he got mauled by a bear while taking a selfie with a bear in India. And, and I don't know what the motive was behind it, but, but my point is, there is a focus in our modern day society on self. 
And it's a consuming and destructive sin. But what would our lives look like if we model what Paul said? Well, it's a couple of practical applications. If marriage couples were to model this, what would it look like? Less arguments, more of serving one another, more uh, humbling experiences, showing grace, showing humility, elevating your spouse's needs above yours, making sure they're taken care of. Parents, families, what would it look like in there? I mean, could you imagine your kids just sharing and get along all the time, parents? I mean, wouldn't that be amazing to hear your kids in that room going, no, 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 you take the toy. I, I, don't, I don't need it. Hey, let me help you out with, with the vacuuming, mom. Let me help you out with the laundry. You know, and not being above doing any of those things. Um, you know, just, just strangers along, as we alluded to earlier. Just showing more kindness and respect to those people around us. Ultimately, here's what happens. Selfishness creates separation from those around us. Creates separation. And Proverbs 18.1 tells us this. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. And so there's a direct connection between separation and selfishness. I mean, if we go all the way back to Genesis, the beginning of creation, we see that God's plan all along was for relationships. It was always to have those types of relationships. Why? Because that's how God wired us. Even in the early church, when we look at Acts, how it was founded upon, it says they had all these things in common. They sold their possessions. They gave to those who needed around. It was not about self because that's how God wired us. But sadly, we can also look at the opposite of that in the Bible and see stories like Cain. Right? We see the stories of Cain and Abel. And how uh, he was jealous of Abel and, and God accepted his sacrifice and not Cain's. And so what happened is he kills his brother and he's jealous of him. And when God asks him, uh, you know, where's your brother? He says, am I my brother's keeper? And so all of us have to realize that we are, in fact, our brother's keeper. We are supposed to look out for others. Look at David, man after God's own heart. Shepherd, king, all these different things wrote, uh, you know, some of the Psalms that we see there. At some point in his life, he gets a selfish attitude. He begins to, to follow his own desires, his own uh, plan for his life, and he goes and sins with Bathsheba. And we see that God redeems him, but that ultimate selfishness led to his lies and murder. And ultimately, Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, you know, what would you do if, and I won't for sake of time, go into all of it, but basically he says, David, you're the guy. You're the guy I'm talking about, and you need to repent. You need to confess. Even those who walk with Jesus, James and John, Jesus is pouring his heart out. You can read it in the Gospels. He's pouring his heart out going, hey, guys, this is about to happen. I'm about to die. I'm about to be beaten. I'm about to be drug away to a place I want to go. I'm going I'm to carry a cross. I'm going to shed my blood and all this. And when he gets done saying that, they look at him and go, okay, that's great, Jesus. But um, when you get to that heavenly place, can I be at your right and me be on your left? Like, can we have those places in heaven and your glory? And he's like, did you not just hear what I said? Even the disciples struggle with that fact. But when we look at Jesus, the model, he came to serve, not to be served. And so in every one of these examples, the sin that crept in was always selfishness. Christianity, we find in Scripture, it's not about self-improvement. It's about self-abandonment. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, If anyone would come after me, 
Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And that looks awfully different from our modern day. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. We think, you know, be more like Jesus. Remember the, the bracelets that everybody had, the WWJD, what would Jesus do? And people have the, the fish stickers on their car. They have uh, the crosses that they display. But, you know, it, it's an interesting thing to think about. And I, if you hadn't listened to anything else that I've said today, I really want you to, to listen to this. Ultimately, when Jesus said, you have to take up your cross and follow me, uh, he was saying something that we don't actually get in this modern day society. And here's why. Because at that time, you would have never seen a cross on a building. You would never see a cross as a piece of jewelry or, or posted somewhere. Because everything that was related to the cross during those times related to death and someone being tortured. The way the Romans would do it. It signified the worst kind of death a person could go through. The worst kind of pain a person could go through. The worst type of humiliation a person could go through. That is what the cross represented during that times. But again, we put them on our buildings, on our cars, as a, as a way as to remind us of what he did. And so, to put it in practical terms, it would be like us putting an electric chair on the side of our building. It would be like us walking around with, with a noose on our necks. It would represent terrible things. So the cross is significant to us because of what it means. And so when he says, take up your cross, something is going to have to die. For you to take up your cross, something has to die. And the something that has to die is self. It's self. He was sending that bold message to us today. And so the band is going to come back up here in just a moment. And I, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing one more song. The question remains this today. Who are you following? Who are you following? Yourself or Christ? Are you relying on your goodness, your self-works to get you into heaven? Because it'll never work. It'll never be enough. Are you counting on servanthood, doing good deeds, church attendance to make you feel good? That's not enough either. Your reliance on self will ultimately lead you to destruction. Only putting your trust in Christ will be enough. The most selfless act anyone has ever done was when God sent his son Jesus on this earth to die for you and for me and our sins. And the wrath that all of us should have experienced and all of us are due was placed on him on this cross. He went willingly, willingly. So I ask you, have you surrendered your life to him today? Every, every part of it. Yourself, family, your marriage. Are you taking up your cross? Or have you set it down somewhere along the way? We all go through those seasons and times in our life. So we have to look at the word daily. It's a daily 
choice that we have to make. So I want to speak to those who have just kind of fallen away today. He's saying, pick it back up. Pick it back up. Those of you who have never put your trust in Jesus, you've never asked Him to be your Lord and Savior today, He's calling you. Will you pick up your cross, quit following yourself and follow me? Maybe you've been relying on your own self for healing that you need, your brokenness, your confidence. It will never, you will never be able to sustain that. It is only in Jesus that Christ can be found. So I invite you to come to him and to the cross today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the work that you have done in us. We thank you that your word promises that you will always be with us. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. But you also said it wouldn't be easy. You said when someone builds, don't they always calculate, don't they always count the cost of what it's going to take before they go through with this? And the same principle applies to us today. For us, we can't just simply say it without meaning it. We have to count the cost of what it means to follow after you. It may not be easy. We may be rejected. We may be uh, made fun of. We may be... um, picked on we may go through persecution Lord we don't know what that will entail but your word says it would be worth it in the end to receive eternal life and if you want to know eternal life if you want to have the promise of heaven then you need to put your trust in him today there's no magic words that you need to to say there's no uh, specific prayer that has to be prayed it is ultimately just you confessing to him today and asking him to be your Lord and Savior. And so as we sing this next song, I just ask that you, Holy Spirit, would evaluate us and help us to see the areas in our lives that we need to surrender self to you and take up our cross and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray.